And as soon as I was with my friends, like a completely different person, the standard happy larrikin that yeah. I am, like my persona, if I had met someone like me, there's not a chance in hell that I ever thought that someone like that would have been depressed. You know, it was just so happy-go-lucky, carefree with everything. Did you ever talk to your mates? No. That's Shannon Archbold. Meeting him now, you wouldn't think he's a guy who's had more than his fair share of mental health struggles. And that's why he's sharing his story. Shannon endured an abusive childhood and normalised living with symptoms of depression and anxiety throughout his life. And it wasn't until I spoke with my partner at the time and she said that, no, I haven't, like, thinking about killing yourself every day is not normal. Mm. And it was like that was kind of what clicked for me to go, oh, right. And it had just been going on so long that I just generally couldn't believe that people wanted to live every day. He made a career as a pilot only to have that identity pulled out from under him when COVID hit. The manipulation that they kind of threw at you for the stuff, you know, oh, we can't afford to pay you for this, we can't afford to pay you for that due to COVID. And then they turn around and buy like a $150,000 Land Cruiser. Mm. And you go, well, hang on. Shannon's past trauma multiplied by the stress he was under manifested in behaviour that wasn't like him at all. It's almost like a needy person like just message mates if i got home because you didn't work, want to you know? be alone yeah 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 but he found the courage to reach out for help and has put in the work to rebuild himself a better man welcome to young blood an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority my name's callum mcpherson i'm a journalist and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone let's do it Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Shannon, what was life like for you growing up? Obviously, mum and dad were together at the time. Everything was pretty normal for me for, for most of it. And then mum was diagnosed with bipolar and it's, yeah, turned into quite like an abusive childhood from, from there. So um, what stage did that happen? Most of it, I've just blacked out. I would like dates, kind of ages and that. But from what I've spoken to dad about, maybe from like five to eight onwards. Um, so do then, you remember a period where it was very normal and then? Not what? really, nah. Because I think it happened at such a young age. A, I don't remember it. B, like I said, I blacked out so much of my childhood. Like I don't remember teachers' names. The only thing I really remember from school is like my best mate's phone number for some reason um, and the colour of school uniform. So plus all the kind of stuff that, that happened with mum. So what happened to your, your household when your mum was diagnosed? I don't think there was like a definitive point where we went, yeah, that's diagnosed. Like it was probably progressively got, got worse. Parents split up and I moved with dad at 14. And then I haven't really seen, seen mum since. So um, basically the, the split up or divorce, whatever you want to call it, dad got me which I call the raw end of the deal because now he's stuck with me and mum <laughs> yeah. got the house and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, dad basically had to restart his life at, at 65 to put me through school. So Tough. yeah, they had me quite late as well. So has your dad spoken to you much about that period of your life that you don't really remember since then? No, nah, we'd never. Up until, yeah, probably last 12, 24 months, we'd never even spoken about it, spoken wow. about mum or anything at all. We um, don't have a very talkative relationship. Mm. So do you think you're sort of conditioned not to talk about stuff? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Dad's um, not much of a, a talker. He can talk all day about other stuff, but when it comes to uh, emotions and that, he, yeah, wouldn't, the wouldn't typical, say 
the typical man. Yeah. 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 So with bipolar, that I'm guessing that involves psychosis and some sort of violence. Yeah. So mum was very uh, physically abusive towards dad in particular, but me at, at times. We just they ended up sleeping in different rooms for the periods they were together, and yeah, it was very different because at that this is going back 15 years ago and domestic violence has obviously changed so so much much less talked about um yeah yeah, and it was i wouldn't say accepted but it was just kind of more swept under the carpet same as like mental health and Mm. and all that sort of thing so and especially dad as a male being abused was essentially just like laughed out of cop shops um yeah when he said his wife was beating him up so yeah so it's sort um, of a hopeless situation there yeah for that yeah. that small percentage of men that the violence goes the other way and, and feeling like you can't really raise yeah, that issue because no one's going to take you seriously um, yeah exactly mm-hmm. so yeah that's what's kind of happened with it all and then after they they split up me and dad have um we moved out we lived in a caravan for I reckon about six months which was at the time awesome because it was right on school holidays at summer and we moved to a caravan park on the beach. So that seemed like is a, a an kid. oasis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To get away from everything that was was happening. Um, it sounds like you would have been on edge and pretty stressed out for years on end there in that situation. Yeah. So it was um And him as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think dad struggled with it. Um he's obviously we've never spoken about dad's mm. struggles, but you can tell that it has affected him quite a lot. But yeah, as you said, it would have been like a, an oasis to be able to go to bed knowing you're not going to be woken up in the middle of the night with your mum coming in and screaming at you or, or dad or whatever. So you blacking out so much at that time, and I know you've had therapy since then, is that a, a trauma response where to be able to cope with it? Yes. You've shut yeah. that down? And I'm very later in life, very much the same, like small traumas or big traumas are almost just blacked out for me. Like in even kind of minor situations, I tend to just forget, well, I wouldn't say forget that they happened, but remember very little details about it. How conscious were you of the fact that that wasn't normal when you were in that home situation and then you moved out of it and you were left as someone who's just had a childhood that's been traumatic like that and and your dad's not all right, but he's not talking about it. Did you... Were you able to just switch that off and just be like, all right, I'm, I'm a normal kid now. It's all good. Was that how it was or? Honestly, I wouldn't, again, all that side of thing is just like how I was as a kid. I was very uh, timid and, and like that sort of thing, which mm. is I think pretty common for, for some kids. I don't think I was any different to a, a lot of the other kids. It was just something that I dealt with. And, and I guess like, uh, did you think about the situation with your mum much? after you'd moved out with your dad? No, no, not really. It was almost like, like I said, a relief to get out. I just moved on pretty quick with with life. Mm. So you were just getting up and taking every day as it comes? Yeah. Yeah. From when you were a teenager? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So what were you like at school? What kind of kid were you? Same as I am now, a bit of a class clown. Yeah. Um, (laughs) A bit of an idiot most of the time. But um, as I grew older, I got a bit more confident. In my very, like, younger years, I know I was very timid towards and shy towards everything. But yeah, once I got a bit of confidence, I've always been quite good academically and that sort of thing, very lazy. I'm probably the, one of the laziest people you meet, but okay. <laughs> at the same time, I'm kind of driven enough that I just did the, the bare minimum to get through and, and seem to achieve quite well doing it, so. And what about your relationships with, with friends or intimately as a teenager? Mm-hmm. 
how normal was that or was that impacted in any way do you think no not really um as i kind of got towards the later years of high school was when i was starting to probably notice like symptoms of depression and stuff like that but never really knew anything of it and it probably helped me socially because it was i found i was only ever down when i was by myself so the more that i got out saw my mates just hanging around as you do as a 17 8 year old the the better kind of same things seem to get for me um whereas the second when kind of shut the car door and walk inside is when i'd start to get every kind of thing kick in mm. and so what kind of feelings were you dealing with when you were alone even now it's hard to understand it all from where i've kind of gone with psychologists and psychiatrists and had everything to explain like it was very they said very clear symptoms of anxiety but obviously with like the suicidal thoughts and and stuff like that um would be like a, a day-to-day occurrence so you just start feeling very uncomfortable when you were alone yeah basically and it's just like a wanting to end more than anything just went kind of hoping that that something happens to me more so than there was obviously the suicidal thoughts but i was, saw that as a i guess a bit of a, a chicken way out of it like i was just really hoping something bad would would happen and and kind of put an end to it all and that was from a young age yeah so like i said from those late teens middle to late teens 15 16 onwards was when i I can probably remember things a bit bit clearer because that's obviously when dad and myself left mum and memory started to get better and that's when I can kind of quite clearly now looking back on it recognize those symptoms. Did anyone know that about you? Because if no. you were this sociable class clown type character they would never have. Nah not at anything. all and I had as a kid going through what we did had obviously seen psychologists and and that sort of thing um, just as part of the I don't know, whatever. So did your dad get you in there? Because he didn't really believe in talking about this sort of stuff. Yeah, so it was part of, I think, the, I don't know exactly the ins and outs of it, but the divorce set up and separation oh, okay. kind of thing that like I had it was to have. mandatory. A, yeah, have an assessment. And I didn't actually read the report until about three years ago. And they basically said, no, he's fine, doesn't need any right. form of counselling. Which, okay. to me, looking back on I go, holy shit, how can you let a kid that's 14 years old that has clearly spoken about what he's been through mm. and you say he doesn't need any form of counselling. So I'd, after I read that, I felt quite, I guess, cheated by the system that, you know, to me, that's just ringing red flags. So Because you'd think that you would have been a pretty clear-cut case for someone yeah. who needed yeah. some yeah. help. Yeah, 100%. Even if you were saying, oh, I'm fine. Because yeah. yeah. you probably don't even remember what you said in, in those sessions nah, back then. But surely it would have been pretty clear to whoever was doing that assessment, given uh the background of what you've just been through that yeah you were someone who Correct. probably needed some help yeah so you've sort of left without anything in that regard like you did the assessment they were like you're fine and you never had That's any counseling and then i didn't really think or even see a psychologist until yeah three three years ago mm. so when you were alone when you're 17 18 and you're having those suicidal thoughts fairly regularly and mm -hmm. experiencing depression and anxiety you just swallowing it and hoping that it would go away yeah and it, it got to a point where i just thought it was normal and it wasn't until i spoke with my partner at the time and she said that no nah, i haven't like thinking about killing yourself every day is not normal mm. and this was like that was kind of what clicked for me to go oh right and it had just been going on so long that i just generally couldn't believe that people wanted to 
live every day. Mm. Wanted to get through from, from day to day. Mm. What was it like living with that and having that in the back of your mind all the time? Stressful because I'm not, wasn't understanding it. Mm. Definitely. Like, feel like it's why? not in your control. Like those thoughts are entering your mind. It's yeah. Like and it's so, so confused. Yeah, exactly. Like the, you're out of control of those sorts of things. And then you start to go down paths. Obviously my mum, like I mentioned, has bipolar. My stepbrothers are schizophrenic. And then I start mm. to go, oh, all right. Well, I've obviously got it in mind in my blood somewhere, so what is it, what What have I got? Um, so thinking thing. that something was wrong with you and yeah. there's yeah. nothing you could really do about it. Yeah, exactly, which then feeds the suicidal thoughts round and around, go, well, if I've got something, why am I gonna put up with like, what my mum's put me through, what my stepbrother's mm. put his partner through, because he you was- You very quickly see yourself as a burden yeah. or yeah. someone who's never gonna be better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we know that's not the case, but yeah, at the time so. it's, I've been suicidal myself, but from mm -hmm. so many men that I've spoken to, imagine it's very hard to see out of that. Like when you're in that spiral, you're having those thoughts constantly. It's, it must have been, and you had them for years at a time, must be really difficult to think that things are ever going to be any different. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was life. That's how everyone was. I didn't actually ever see a difference. And now the, I wouldn't, I don't know, did you say cured? Now that I'm better, like I'm 110% better than where I was a few years ago. Now I look back on that and I'm just stunned that that's how I used to think. Mm. Like it, every day I wake up and go, man, that's just unbelievable that I could have thought that that was ever normal. But you're just convinced of that at the time. Yeah. And you know, I used to, to say to the psychologist at the time, it's almost a chemical change in me. Like I'd feel like most nights, it was a, mainly a, a kind of nighttime thing where I used to suffer. I'd feel like someone had injected something into me and you would feel a, a chemical change and, right, okay. and that was it. Like I, nothing I could do could stop it or, or whatever. Do you ever get any explanation for that? Not really. So the psychologist that I've been seeing said that obviously it is a, a chemical change, mm. but, um, depending on, you know, what it is that you, you are suffering from. But she said depression is a chemical imbalance and she said it could just be something that's triggering you that you don't know about. And we brought it back to when most of the abuse was happening as a kid was, was at night. Mum used to yeah, go to work, used to come home, drink, and then it would all kind of turn down. So you'd from be there. living expecting that to happen at night Exactly, time. yeah. So that's probably the, the trigger for, for it all, even mm. though nothing had actually happened that day or at that time. It was just the fact that the, but it was the sun's going down essentially. Trauma. Yeah. 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 And these things are complicated too. I mean, there's not any one answer and that must be part of the frustration of it as well, where you're going to see a therapist and saying, well, look, what's the problem? What's wrong with me? And there's a whole yeah, collection of things. The first psychologist I saw essentially said the same thing. Like, what, what are you here for? I never really got, even though I was paying them, whatever, they're not cheap, are they? But you didn't even know I was what you were there them, for. No, yeah. I just, yeah, didn't know what I was there for. I wasn't at a point to fess up to them that I was having suicidal thoughts and, mm. and that sort of thing. Why were um, you worried about voicing that? Obviously my work with, with what I do, um, I have to have a medical clearance to, for my job. Um, so were you a pilot at that time? Yeah, so yeah. I've worked as a pilot for ever since I was 20. So for the last eight years and I've been flying since I was 15. So that- And you can't hold a pilot's license if you've been proven to 
struggle. No, no, you, you can. And that was the a big thing for me as well. It was I'd been flying ever since I've had these symptoms and to be honest, you've just been lying the whole way yeah. through through the medicals. It's so easy. All they do is go, Have you done this? Have you done this? How much do you drink? Have you had suicidal thoughts? No, 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 no. Mm. And they don't don't ever bat an eyelid. So I've just been doing that the whole way through and to actually go and get help, I was worried that everything that I'd worked to would have just be taken away from me. Yeah, and that would definitely stop you from coming forward if you thought, it, like, if I talk about this, I'll lose my job. Yeah, correct. And um, that's not the only profession that people think that as well. Correct. I know there's a massive stigma for it in the police too. Yeah. Especially after they go through some sort of traumatic incident. Mm -hmm. There's a worry in the force that you'll get blacklisted as someone who's got mental health issues and then you'll get taken off certain jobs that you might want to do. Or yeah. um, So there's certain industries where people really worry about not being able to work if they if they're just honest about how they're feeling yeah and like to go with that i kind of main reason i went to start go help was like what's more valuable to me some career that is possibly also contributing to my poor mental health mm. or actually going to get help and you know i'm more than at the time was more than happy to to lose that and it's you definitely not, shouldn't have to choose between the two though yeah, yeah yeah but it's actually been such an easy process to go through even from where I was, like I think about two years ago, I got um, admitted to hospital for suicidal ideation. So I spent a couple of days in ED with side psychiatrists. It is, isn't it? Other doctors yep, are at, that prescribe um, drugs. Yeah, correct. Yep. And since then, it's just been a case of yep, just go get an assessment. You tell them how you're feeling. Um, I'm still on medication now. Still allowed to fly. So that stigma that I thought was there, it just isn't. Mm. Um, perhaps 10 years ago it may have been, but the fact that now it's, mental health is becoming more spoken about throughout the world, I think someone obviously higher up on the ranks has said, all right, well, we can actually manage this to an extent. Obviously, if you are having psychosis and stuff like mm. that, you can't be flying around planes, but people who have depression can operate normally as human beings and do their job. We just kind of manage a few little things so if i do have a change in medication i have to take a, a week off work essentially just to, to make sure there's no issues with any of it and that's the only restriction i have now so what that, was that I'm, like in terms of a weight off your mind realizing that it, it wasn't um, one or the other yeah huge it, it was massive for me and for a few of my friends i'd know of probably four close friends that are, are still flying in aviation that have quite severe depression to you know an extent yeah. where they are having that suicidal and they're doing the and same that. thing where they would just yeah make oh, it up it, on honestly there. there'd be more people in aviation doing that than mm. there's not i, I can yeah. just about guarantee well it's not that. like oh let's look at the workforce oh did you know no one in no one in aviation has any mental yeah. health problems yeah and yeah everyone's still able to have a, yeah. a medical somehow so you can almost guarantee that but that's know, so much worse making people feel like they have to lie yeah. and they can't be honest and they can't access the help that they need yeah. and they're still going to just do the job anyway. Yeah. That's worse for everyone. Exactly. So, and I know a lot of those people have gone and get help and they have had friends that they've spoken to about me and what I've gone through have also contacted me. So I've probably had, I reckon, 10 pretty solid conversations with men and women. There's probably out of those 10, probably about three of them were were women as well that are in a, a similar position mm. um, who had been having 
quite depressive symptoms and because um, a lot of the time when you get your license you're kicked out into the middle of nowhere chasing hours on on pretty average yeah, so it's tough work and there's yeah. isolation and the schedule is yeah. difficult um, yeah. so it is i think to be honest quite inducive of that sort of thing mm. like fly and fly out work um, i'm sure there's industries that would be more inducive of having a higher percentage of Oh, depression. Yeah, we know um, that because of the, because the isolation the lifestyle. And, and I think that yeah. the early stages of aviation probably are that. Um, so it was good to have those people reach out. And I mean, there me. must be a lot out there. If there's 10 who are just contacting you. Yeah. You know, to you talk know, about just, it. Literally just messages over Instagram or Facebook. Just and a lot of like, people feel like they can't talk about it, obviously, yeah. for the reasons that you just mentioned yeah, there. 100%. So yeah, how did having to, so many people reach out for the same thing, how did that make you view it differently for what? you've been through it's uh how did it make me view it so i guess confirmed i guess my original thoughts that it, it is a stigma that you can't really talk about it be honest with it and that sort of sort of thing it really did just reiterate that to me that i'm not the only only one not by a long shot it seems like it's yeah a lot of people yeah and yeah. It, it's a big joke to be honest like you go on instagram there's like memes all over you know, there's pages that just dedicate making memes about how poor mental health is in aviation mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it obviously is out there. But, yeah, it was good to hear from those people that they're able now to go get help. Um, I know three of them have also started medication and took time off work, which is a big one, um, being in a position where you can just, even though it's a, a passion for for most of us, just stop and say, hey, I'm just going to do something else mm. for a little bit, take the stress away from it, work out my medical, get on top of my mental health because that's what's most important and then get back into work from there. What do you love about flying? Flying itself, I do love. It's just getting up in, in the air and, and being able to do what you want. The job itself is quite actually boring. Everyone thinks that it's, it's the best job in the world, but... You know, at the moment, I'm just sitting there for two hours a day, wait for something to happen, land, turn around, come home. There's nothing thrilling about that to me, I guess, because I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. But in terms of, I guess you would call it your root sticks flying, just getting in a plane with a couple of mates, going over to, to Port Lincoln or somewhere for a weekend is, is awesome. You know, it's just what I kind of enjoy about it. Yeah, because it seems like a real special job to people who don't do it, obviously. Yeah, and there's and a lot any time you get on the on a plane is just a passenger. It's a, generally a big deal unless you're a businessman who's traveling all the time or whatever, but it's exciting yeah. flying in a plane. But if you're doing it every day, it's sort every of day, just yeah. whatever. It's like it, you said, like driving the car. Yeah, it's like when you first get your, your L's or your P's, like just literally driving to Macca's is like the best <laughs> feeling in the world. Whereas now that we're 28, 29 or 30, getting on, driving to Macca's is you know, not exciting at all. But given that you haven't been able to do it for a while, and now that you're doing it again, do you appreciate it in a, in a different way? Yes. Like I was saying earlier, like I'm pretty lucky with the position that I've got, got now. I'm still only just working casually. It just suits how I want to work. So, yeah, that's kind of reiterated, the, I guess, the passion for it as well. Did COVID just make it all go down the drain? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And the, the previous workplace I was in was definitely not beneficial for my mental health either. Um, and then you throw COVID on top of that and the manipulation that they kind of threw at you for, for stuff, you know, oh, we can't afford to pay you for this, we can't afford to pay you for that due to COVID. And then they turn around and buy like a $150,000 
Land Cruiser. Mm. You go, well, hang on. Like, you can't afford my $20 taxi when you give me overnights and stuff like that. So COVID on top of a very poor workplace was, yeah, also a strong reason for where my mental health was yes. as well. So what did that do to your identity when you're the pilot and then all of a sudden you weren't and weren't working? Again, because of the position I was in at the time, I was actually kind of happy, even though the dollars were, were quite tight then at the start of COVID for myself. To be able to walk away from the workplace I was in, like I said, because it just wasn't great for my mental health, um, how they were treating us, and to actually just not have to rock up to work was nearly a godsend for me. But I actually, well, other than the health implications of COVID, quite mm. enjoyed not having to, to go into that place. No, I get that, man. I actually left my job at Channel 7 when I was, I was a news reporter yep. at that time when COVID happened and left my job because that environment wasn't actually great for me either. So it yeah. ended up being a blessing in a way, even yeah. though it was fairly unstable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like it, it was tough, I guess, financially, but to eliminate, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of workplaces out there that are, are mm. quite toxic. It's not just for aviation that I'm talking about, but just to be able to have that time off work and that sort of thing was, was a godsend, really. So in your 20s, while you're flying, in terms of your social life and your personal life, how did your management of your mental health sit within everything? Or oh, it didn't. I did not used to manage it at all. I just completely ignored it. Like I said, I thought it was normal. I just went from day to day. Um, so still suicidal was. thoughts all the way through your life? Yeah, from 14 up until probably Christmas time last year. Wow. Would have been yep. nearly... How old are you now? 28. Oh. So 14 years. And, you know, there'd be little instances i found that summer going into summer you know daylight savings warmer weather better is was mm. definitely better um winter was always always terrible yeah i always found summer a lot better towards again once i started to notice things and and realizing it wasn't a normal thing to be feeling that way that summers were usually better did you ever enjoy your life outside of that like i understand that you had that in the back of your mind at all times, were you able to lull yourself into thinking that that was all right because you still got some joy out of life and had some good times and good experiences or were you actually depressed the whole time deep down? No, I was still able to enjoy it. In my head, I almost felt like when I was walking out the front door, I'd be putting a mask on. Mm. Um, still deep down, was very depressed. And as soon as I was with my friends, like I was saying earlier, was completely different person, the standard happy larrikin, that yeah. I am like my persona if I had met someone like me there's not a chance in hell that I ever thought that someone like that would have been depressed yeah um you know it was just so happy go lucky carefree with everything do you ever talk to your mates no nah. no nah, not again not until the last two years it was never never even mentioned had a I wouldn't have said he was a, a close friend more of an acquaintance like he'd, in my friendship group he was more so friends with other people so i'd see him quite a lot would speak and and that sort of thing so he committed suicide this would have been 2017 i reckon maybe in 16 and even still since then like no one what went on for a week or whoever needs a, a chat and, right. and we do and yeah since then but yeah. no one in your group ever spoke about their own stuff either Nah, not really it's I'm not sure if it's just because I guess I've spoken to friends about it and um, my story of improvements got out there or everyone else in life of my 
friendship groups kind of starting to develop and mature and that sort of thing that other people are talking about it and either reaching out or I kind of see what they post and, and reach out to them type thing. So you still got the same mates now? Yeah, the main core group is still still the same. And then there's all your schoolmates that you kind of see and, and that when you bump into them at, at pubs and, and that sort of thing. So how did they react hearing from you about what you've been through and the fact that you're speaking up? What's the impact um, that has? My close mates that probably knew the background of childhood, I don't think were too surprised. Mm. Um, but then again, I think people that wouldn't have known me super close and that sort of thing would have been quite taken by surprise, like I said, with the personality of, of me, especially a lot of the guys at the footy club is probably where I'm my biggest larrikin mm. in, out, of, out of everywhere. So, so they're surprised those, by it, but what sort of a reception did you get from them? Really good, actually. There's been, like I said, quite a few guys that have either reached out to me from the football club or just put it in the group chat, hey, just this week, I'm not training, like I've had a need to just take some time to myself. I reckon this season alone, there's probably been at least three of those guys that have, I guess, taken mental health breaks mm. from football and put it to the group. Um, I think there's a big difference to- That's a big shift, isn't it? Yeah, just, you know, going back, I've been playing football my, my whole life and five years ago, it wouldn't have even been mentioned, just guys would disappear for, for two weeks mm. um, and that type of thing, whereas now- Because if they did say something, everyone would take the piss, basically. Yeah, I think so. And seeing over time, like a cultural change as well, has probably helped that along. Mm, that's massive. So struggling through your 20s behind closed doors, how did that manifest in your behaviour? It was probably getting more, or sorry, less and less social. Over time, just, I guess my depression was getting worse. It's got to wear you down. Yeah, as I got older and I really was just getting fed up with not being with my friends like it was almost like a needy person like just message mates if i got home because you work, didn't want to be I, alone yeah 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 and when i was moving around quite a lot was quite difficult um as well so in the early days of flying would have to basically move places to six months do a season of flying then you move on to the next place and that sort of thing so friends were kind of developed and then you lose them and then you got to start again which I've never had too many issues making friends or, or anything like that. It's just... Um, but that instability after a while as well. Yeah. Sort of correct. tough. Yeah. Dealing with that where you've got that real need to be with people all the time and your depression's getting worse. How did you start behaving in a way that didn't feel like it was you? Just less doing things with friends. Wouldn't, wouldn't be wanting to do work. I worked like really hard for, for a long time develop through my flying and then it just got to a point where I just wasn't wanting to go to work. I wasn't answering the phone for extra shifts, which um, even dad had noticed a change in that when I was leaving back home that I wasn't going to work. And I think that's where dad started to realize that something wasn't quite right with me. And that's probably where he started to open up a little bit towards me because if I'm not going to work, then I'm sitting at home by myself. Most of my mates are at work and that sort of thing. And so how did your dad reach out to you? Just the same as what you'd expect from a standard old dad, basically. Just kind of check on you to make sure everything's all right. Um, would want to, I guess, hang out with me as much as he could and just do those little things, get him to, to help. There was a few times I was actually just going to 
to work with him just to to sit and I guess have someone to to help. He didn't ask you straight up though. No, nah. no, nah, not at all. Mm. But he probably saw a bit of himself when you, I guess. Yes, yeah, very much. And so. knew that he didn't want to talk about it himself, so didn't yeah. ask you about it. it. Was it was never spoken about, and but I, he obviously had recognised that something wasn't wasn't quite right. And without any details of attempts, what was your rock bottom? Where did that all lead you to? Um, so there was was a couple of I don't quite classify them as attempts because there was no I guess harm done, but it was proper I guess planning. Uh, I think the technical term suicidal ideation where where you're going places. Unfortunate last, which is why I was in in hospital last year, that um, I was on my way to to make an attempt and my mate just called me out of the blue to see see what I was up to. Um, I just broke down to him on the phone and yeah, it was basically went in to see the, the GP from there and the GP said, yeah, the mate takes you to hospital now or you go on an ambulance and if that's a no, then we get the police here and, and take you. So I was kind of, I guess, forcefully admitted, but yeah, that was probably the, the lowest point for me. So it was just intuition that your mate called you? Yeah, he knew that I was going through a rough time at the time and I think more luck than anything um, with that, that sort of thing. What um, did he say to you? Oh, honestly, I don't even remember. I just broke down. I was in absolute tears sitting in the middle of the road with traffic banked up and everyone beeping at me and it just seemed like a, a whole phase. Um, so he managed to, to come down, pick me up. Um, I think it was that afternoon. No, sorry, he got another one of my mates. He called him to come get me and... Yeah, just went from there, basically. So fair to say that that might have saved your life, that 100%, moment. yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a few little moments like that that I think without my friends being around or just off chances of stuff happening, that things would be a hell of a lot different for me. Mm. Um, with how I've, I've felt, I think, to go through 14 years of, of depression and, and have those thoughts every day that it eventually was going to break and it was getting to the point where I was just hoping for car accidents or or something to go wrong, someone to run a red light on me. And I'm just kind of glad now that it never got to that point. Nothing like that's kind of going to happen now. What about your relationships at the time with girlfriends throughout that you know, so period just, of your life? So I'd just broken up with a, a girlfriend at the time, so which was a, an incident that's my fault, kind of went away on a on a buck show and slept with someone that wasn't my girlfriend at the time and knowing what I'd done to someone and that sort of thing just sent me into an absolute spiral that I'd damaged someone like I had to put someone in a feeling that they may have been feeling the way I was. Mm. Um, and So carrying that guilt. Yeah, which was a huge thing for me. Um, I'd in earlier relationships in my 20s had been cheated on and like that made me feel terrible and knowing that I'd put someone in that same position was just the worst feeling ever on top of just the regular when I say regular my regular day-to-day -day depression but knowing that it was someone else not just you yeah correct that was her um and yeah knowing that pain and what they would have been going through and it was at a point I didn't at the time accept what had actually happened um for probably it took me two months to actually acknowledge myself that it had happened. I was just that 
fire in my head of of denial and and that sort of thing. And at the time, I was just blackout drunk and and don't remember a, a thing. I'm sure we've all been that kind of drunk. And then yeah, just that on top of um, where I was mentally, just had no real recollection. Must have been like yeah. a very disorientating, confusing time. Yeah, and I think that side of my past with blocking out trauma, it almost just happened again because the, the recollection of, of what happened is, isn't there. I know something happened uh, and even now I still don't recognize things, but that I think just comes back to my past of just blocking out bad things that happened to me. So yeah, it just took a long time to accept it. So this was the point at which you were able to say, okay, I actually have to go see someone for real now. So I was already seeing a psychologist at the time. And then after it happened, explained it to the psychologist and, and that sort of thing. And then we worked through a little bit from there. She wanted me to go to the GP because obviously psychologists can't prescribe medication. Mm. I went to the GP, he put me on a light dose of antidepressants at and the time. And you'd never been on them before? No, nah, never been a, a consideration. Yeah, because <laughs> it wasn't, at the time I still hadn't fed up to that psychologist that I was having suicidal thoughts. Um, so, And how long you know, have you been seeing them for? Would have been about six months. Yeah, and then the one wow. before that I was seeing for about six months as well. And is this because you were still worried about the job stuff or you just didn't want to admit it to yourself? Maybe both. I think. Yeah. I think I just didn't want to admit that I was in the position that I was, and as I've, I've said, like it was just normal for me. I just thought everyone had that. I thought that Tom, Dick, and Harry walking down the street had suicidal thoughts every day. That Dad did, Mum did, whoever else in my life was just the exact same. I didn't think that I actually needed medication because I just thought it was normal. So when did things start to improve? pretty much after the hospital visit. So the hospital visit was um, a month after what happened and the breakup. And then while I was on quite heavy medication for probably a month, I was on some, uh, obviously I'd stopped flying at the time, so the medication wasn't wasn't an issue, but um, anti-psychosis drugs, which just numbed yep. my thoughts. And to actually for a month realize that I could sleep normal and I'd slept the best I'd ever slept, even to this day for that month, just to not have things go through your head constantly all the time about that sort of mental health side of things. And so that was a huge thing for me to actually go, wow, that month is how everyone else lives. Um, yeah. That's what it's like just to, for most people to, to go through a day and they go out for coffee, come home, relax and just do things can that, switch off to some degree at least yeah to, yeah and it was only just the medication that was kind of numbing my brain so i worked quite hard after that on on myself on thoughts and and that sort of thing and obviously came off that medication and yeah really took probably six to eight months before i was at a point where i was happy um i've stopped seeing the psychologist i'm not seeing her anymore which is is really good and after you went to hospital and your mates were involved, obviously mm -hmm. then people knew about what was going on at least to some extent. So yeah, so did that I, mean you could then talk to them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where the, all the other conversations started to, to crop up. And when I got to a point where I was, you know, 50-50 feeling good, 
you know, I'd still had the odd bad day and, but was at a point where I'd realized where I was, wasn't normal that when I started speaking to people, seeing changes in them and a will to also them work on themselves, I guess, fueled my want to get better as well. And then just go on and help the next person. Mm. And then, you know, hopefully that person helps his mate or her mate and that sort of thing and really start to change and since then that's where i've seen those little changes maybe they were happening in the past and i just never noticed but with uh core my friendship group i've noticed huge changes on things like that yeah and you're the instigator for that and that's amazing there's so many groups of young men where everyone's standing around they're talking about the footy or whatever and never going any deeper than that and meanwhile half the group are really struggling with something but no one's talking about it and then as soon as you have someone who's able to front up and talk about it, which is one of the hardest things that there is to do, can just Correct. make just, that massive I guess difference. Someone yeah. needs a, an icebreaker. And unfortunately, a lot of the time for that icebreaker to happen is a, a suicide or an, an attempt at least. Yeah. But it just goes so, to show that building up in your mind, I can't talk about this because it's not going to be accepted or it's going to have this negative effect. Yeah. Often it's that's in your head and actually the reality is quite different. Exactly. And I think uh, character-wise can can do it as well. Like, I'm a, as I've said, big person owner, like I'm six foot five. I've got a big character, a big mouth. I'm a larrikin. And for someone like that to obviously be able to speak about it, mm. um, a lot of people really took notice and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, just because you're a big, funny bloke doesn't mean yeah, that you don't exactly. Through, so, yeah. It affects, you know, it, everyone. And to go through from, I know my dad suffers, I can concede in his, mm. um, in the way that he talks and, and that sort of thing. So my, my good girlfriends, I know, have a, there's a lot of men in flying, women in flying, all the way down to, to kids I've spoken to as well about it, right up to old people. You can just, just see it. And I've had friends speak about their dads yeah. as well that have had a, the same thing. Yeah, but now that you know, you really know what it feels like and what it's like to be there, it just awakens that want to try to help other people through. Because Yeah, 100%, just... because I honestly just cannot believe how dumb it was to think how I was. And if I can make other people realize that, then it makes me feel so much better as well. But, you know, you've helped one other person. That's, that's great. And life's good now? 100%. I've never, never been happier. I like, just wake up every day um, absolutely loving, loving everything I do. Which you never would have thought was possible, right? Given yeah, what you yeah, lived did, through? Didn't know it was the, to be able to live like this. Um, when you hear people speak about how much they love their life or that job or whatever is just before was yeah not not believable i thought it was all nonsense whereas now even my workmates and that say just attitudes so awesome to have you to just want to come in and do work we ask you to do a little bit extra and it's done type thing so so what do you want people to know that it is possible to change i think you know from from where i've been i'm no hero or super Superman that's done hard work. I'm not super intelligent. Like I said, I'm normally pretty lazy, kind of easygoing persona. All it took was a little bit of will for myself. And it was the psychologist that said it to me that no one's going to come and do this for you. You need to you do it yourself. Like you can rely on all your mates to text you and, and check you're okay, but you've got to actually go out. Made that first little change, whether it's talking to your mates, seeing a psychologist or just a little bit of whatever, all those little things, meditation, all that sort of stuff really helps. And it took six months for it to kick in for me. It didn't happen overnight. 
But yeah, that, that was the biggest thing for me was when that was said that no one's going to come and do it for me. Um, that's really what's kind of changed things. Yeah, I think that's the most important message. You've got to take the action yourself and it's yeah. not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And you're a fantastic example of that, of someone who you wouldn't have thought, you wouldn't have thought that you'd still be here, but you are <laughs> and loving life, mate. So it's great to see. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for sharing. No problem. That's it for this episode. Thanks to our local business supporters, Heard Financial and First National Real Estate. Making these podcasts isn't cheap and we can't do it alone. If you'd like to become a supporter, please send an email to callum at youngbloodmedia.com.au. If you're getting some value out of the show, please give us a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps us out. You can watch every episode in studio quality video on Spotify and our YouTube channel, Young Blood Men's Mental Health. We go by the same name on Instagram and Facebook and follow Young Blood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.